0: As Latter-day Saint leaders, we face very difficult conversations that put us at risk of saying the wrong thing that can do more harm than good. Many of these conversations relate to LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. Have you had a fellow ward member come out to you about their LGBT identity? Have you had LGBT neighbors in your ward and you just don't know what to say to them, so you just ignore them? Have you wrestled with balancing love for your fellow man while still respecting the doctrines of the restored gospel? Personally, I've struggled with all those experiences. This is why Leading Saints is putting together the LGBT Saints Virtual Summit, where we will learn from 20-plus individuals who all have a unique perspective or an expertise in the LGBT Latter-day Saint experience. It's free to attend, so don't miss it. To learn all about the details, text the word LEAD, 474747 or visit leadingsaints.org slash LGBT. Again, text the word L E A D to 474747 or visit leadingsaints.org slash LGBT. We hope you will join us so that we can all learn together. Hey everyone, welcome back to another session of doing the dishes while you listen to a podcast. Come on. We know you all do it. And this podcast that you've chosen is the Leading Saints podcast. I'm your host, Kurt Francom, and here we go for another episode. Now, if you're new to Leading Saints, we are a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead. And we do that through this podcast, also thousands of online articles at LeadingSaints.org. We have a weekly newsletter you can subscribe at, which is phenomenal, at LeadingSaints.org slash subscribe, and virtual summits and some live summits, but a lot of virtual summits. And one virtual summit we have coming up that we're highlighting in the next few uh, podcast episodes is the LGBT Saints Virtual Summit, where we've gathered 20-plus professionals, leaders, LGBT Latter-day Saints, to share their own perspective and stories and brought them together in this virtual conference so that we can all learn how to better minister to LGBT Latter-day Saints. And you can register for such a conference at... LeadingSaints.org slash LGBT. And obviously, there's probably a promo at the beginning of this podcast that gave you all the information as well. Now, this interview, which is just a presentation from the upcoming LGBT Saints Virtual Summit, is with Blake Fisher. And Blake Fisher is an inclusion advisor at Brigham Young University in their Office of Student Inclusion and Success, I believe it is called, uh, if not all give the right name, in the actual recording, but just a phenomenal uh, experience that he gets to have serving those students at BYU who uh, just need some help, especially those LGBTQ students who are navigating these waters and and uh, at, at BYU. And Blake himself experienced the same gender attraction, and he'll tell uh, more about his own story there. But the main focus of this interview is we talk about this dynamic of either bishop interviews or just when an LGBT Latter-day Saint interacts with a leader in their ward, in their stake, uh, in their community. So it may be a bishop's interview, it may be uh, you know, a ministering interview with their Relief Society president and just some of the dynamics that go on, the nuances that maybe we miss in some of these and how we can better prepare as leaders so that we have a, uh, we create a safer place for these individuals to come where they can really feel like, wow, I'm being heard here, or, this is really helpful, and they don't leave discouraged because what leader wants an individual, especially an LGBTQ Latter-day Saint, leaving that interaction frustrated? And so Blake has some remarkable advice and experience Perspective to really help us with this. So, again, this is one of the sessions of the upcoming LGBT Saints Virtual Summit, one of 20 plus sessions, and they're all phenomenal. I'm in the midst of recording them right now, and you are going to love it. Start September 8th. Don't miss it, but here's a taste of it my interview with Blake Fisher, an inclusion advisor at Brigham Young University. Welcome back to another session of the LGBT Saints Virtual Summit. Today we're sitting down with Blake Fisher. How are you, Blake?
1: Oh, well, thanks. Yeah.
0: Good. Awesome. Now, just briefly tell us you work for BYU. Maybe tell us your job and then maybe we'll just jump into your personal story and then we'll get into uh, some of the details you do at BYU. So, what's your job description? What's your job title there?
1: Yeah. So, I work for the BYU Office of Student Success and Inclusion. It's a relatively new office. So, we focus on a lot of different groups, you know, that feel a little bit more marginalized here at BYU. And our main goal is to help them feel like they belong and more welcomed, as well as helping all students just understand how to create more unity here on campus and to be more inclusive. It's a pretty exciting job. It's nothing I expecting to, to go into. When I was working here at the university, I was actually working university relations. And... They opened this new office and they invited me to be a part of it. And it's been really exciting. One of my main focuses is actually working with students who identify as LGBTQ or experience same-sex attraction or gender dysphoria and just working with them to find out what their needs are and kind of how they're doing and just see what I can do to make sure that they're feeling supported and feeling welcome here on campus. And a lot of unique challenges and a lot of really cool connections there
0: nice and if I remember right you're you're not a therapist but you are just there to help right
1: yeah so I'm an advisor um, and so I don't have a therapy license or anything I love being able to connect with the students and to talk with them but yeah I don't do any therapy with them we just have great conversations I see what I can do to support them and see if there's anything that the administration could really benefit from their experiences and stories And it's cool, we don't, it's a completely confidential office, even though I'm not a therapist. And so we get to hear the raw details and really beautiful testimonies as well, as some really hard trials these students are going through. Yeah.
0: And that's why I wanted to make sure you were part of the summit, because you sort of experience a similar dynamic that maybe a church leader experiences. You know, they're not trying to give therapy, but they're just trying to have helpful, hope-filled conversations with individuals. But obviously you focus on individuals, LGBTQ Latter-day Saints, or, or students at BYU, I should say. Yeah. Maybe they're not all Latter-day Saints, yeah. though I'm sure a large majority of them are. Um, and so, I think you've probably learned some things that could help a lot of, of bishops in there, or leaders in general, in their journey.
1: Yeah, I hope so. It's neat, because as I meet with students, the topic of meeting with church leaders comes up a lot. And so, they, some of them get a text from a bishop saying, hey, I want to meet with you. And then they come into my office like, oh my gosh, I don't know what this is about. And so we get in, talk to them and try to help them prepare for this meeting or after a meeting that went really well, or maybe had some struggles, we get a touch base. And so the topic of church leaders comes up a lot here.
0: Yeah. Well, well, definitely get into some of those details and interactions, but tell us a little bit about your background and story. Obviously your background is connected to this topic as well. And yeah. Is part of the journey of you landing in this position.
1: It is, yeah. So when they invited me to kind of be part of this conversation on campus, um, they had heard about my personal experience with same-sex attraction or being gay. And they just started wondering if I could just be part of the conversations, what we can we do as students? And, um, and so I just started to share my story. And then it kind of went from there. Um, the first person I actually talked to about my experience with same-sex attraction was a church leader. And so it was right before my mission. I had never talked to anybody about it. I was really nervous to talk to my stake president for being a missionary. And so I talked to him about just having these experiences and these feelings. And he was incredible. And I'm so grateful that my first interaction with a leader in the church was so loving. And he just, he said, I know you and what you're about, your goals. And he said, you were going to be such a great missionary and going to just be just fine. And that confidence and love that I felt from him set a great trajectory for me. I'm really grateful for that. Things started to get a lot harder as far as my own personal experience, um, when I got back from my mission and this giant world of dating and just the future opened up and I was, I had no idea what I was going to do with that. And, It got pretty help. I felt pretty hopeless there for a while. Yeah. I was able to get help from some therapists and other church leaders to the point where I started to feel more comfortable talking about it. And eventually was able to open up with my family and close friends. And that took a long time. And it was hard because there's always this kind of denial for me of just like, is this real? Is it not? Is this good to talk about? Is it not? And it was really great whenever I was able to talk to people about it and felt loved that helped me feel like I'm okay and just increase that confidence. And so, yeah.
0: and let me ask you about yeah. uh, your time on your mission. I mean, was your mission president aware and did it ever become an issue to any extent there or, or take up
1: the focus of your experience? I, I never talked to my mission president about it. He may have been aware. I'm not sure. It never came up. I didn't think too much about um, my sexuality on my mission. Uh, I was one of those probably a little bit too, Intent, like focused missionaries. That's oh, where- we all were, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, it came up in moments, but it didn't create a lot of tension or anything. They're on the mission. And my mission president and his wife since I found out, and they've been great supports and they check in and just see how I'm doing. And so, but it never came up then.
0: And so did you leave your mission sort of feeling like, oh, this is sort of in a good spot. It's not like a distraction in life. I Maybe you can just carry on uh, without issue and or without having to reconcile uh, some of these feelings.
1: Yeah, that sounds a lot healthier than probably what was that like going <laughs> on for me. I think it was a little bit more of a denial and suppression, just trying to pretend it wasn't a thing. And I think then coming home and just suddenly dating and marriage and everyone's talking about that, that's when I'm like, uh, maybe I need to look at this a little bit more because it's clear that I'm not feeling this attraction towards girls and this attraction to guys is there and I have no idea what to do with it. And it, yeah, it started to make me feel pretty hopeless and I'm grateful that I had places to go for help.
0: Yeah. And so it sounded like the more you had opportunities just to talk to people about it, that really just helped you process what you were experiencing.
1: Yeah, it did. I think just putting it out there and just realizing it wasn't this dark, scary thing. And just realizing that other people could think about it and handle it with a lot of love and kindness helped me to think about it that way myself, uh, which was huge for me. I mentioned just having people who I felt like just knew me better. I felt like there was this huge like, part of my experience that people just didn't understand.
0: Yeah. And not to pry into your personal life or experiences, but you know, that's sort of what we're doing. Uh, <laughs> but I'm just curious, like, because there's I know there's just a diversity of experiences that people go through for this. So did your experience was it mainly just talking with friends, church leaders, or did it was therapy involved, like professional counselors?
1: Yeah. Um, I talked to one state president who he was really great. He wanted to be supportive, but he knew that maybe a therapist could be more helpful for some of the questions I had. And so he started setting me up with therapists, and I also saw therapists on campus here, as well as group therapy with my peers. All of that was extremely helpful for me, especially in trying to understand the shame I was experiencing and trying to kind of separate that shame from the experience. The therapy and the group therapies helped me a ton with that.
0: So I'm curious what, I mean, as far as how you would define that experience with shame, what did it feel like? And then what were some of the processes, or what did it look like when it's, you're able to sort of separate that shame from the experience?
1: Yeah, the the shame for me felt very much like okay, I'm experiencing these feelings are very against the church's teachings, are against the plan of salvation, and I must have done something wrong to to kind of land in this place or to to be feeling these things, and so. I need to figure out what I need to do right in order to fix it and to fix this giant problem that's going to keep me from my goals, that's going to keep me from salvation, that it was just this giant problem that I needed to fix and that it was my fault. I was experiencing it, which is just crippling because as hard as I tried to fix it, what did seem to be changing?
0: Yeah. And so did you find that you became maybe a super missionary or you became a super (laughs) super Latter-day saint and... Because a lot of time you hear that individuals try to pray the gay away. But I really feel like, and I don't know if there's more of a Latter-day Saint experience, they try and behave the
1: gay away, right? Yeah, I think I was very perfectionistic and kind of overly scrupulous anyway. You know, like that's part of my personality. And so that played a big role in it. It was, I don't know if it was as direct, like, okay, if I'm righteous enough, this will go away. I was extremely perfectionistic in all aspects of my life. I think more an attempt to feel worthy and lovable and okay and acceptable just because the feeling of being gay made me feel the opposite of that. So trying to make myself feel acceptable and lovable resulted in a lot of perfectionism. And yeah, which was exhausting.
0: So what does that look like today? I mean, not, not to assume that you've, you've solved the puzzle yeah. or you've figured it out, but I mean, how do you combat those things when it feels like that shame comes back?
1: Yeah. I'm really grateful. A lot of that shame, I don't feel like is there anymore. I really have learned to appreciate and value my experience for what it is and really divorce it from worthiness or God's feeling about me and even other people's feelings about me. I just, it's part of my experience and it's important. And there's a lot of really beautiful aspects of it that I've been able to just really enjoy and appreciate and seeing how that helps my life, how it helps other people has really combated that shame. And just being around so many people who really did hear this, my story, and I felt complete unconditional love. That's, I think, what changed it, especially as I felt that from a divine source as I prayed to Heavenly Father and felt that He was okay with how these feelings and how I was doing and that that there was level acceptance there. That melted the shame away more than anything.
0: That's, uh, that's encouraging for sure. So I want to sort of pivot towards your role at, at BYU. Um, and what's the department again that you work in? Yeah. Write these things <laughs> it's, down. It's called the Office of Student Success and Inclusion. Success and Inclusion. Okay. Mm-hmm. And this isn't just an office for LGBTQ students, right? Like you cover all sorts of different things.
1: Yep. We, we like to talk about race and gender and religious minorities and all the other historically marginalized groups, we work with those. And most of my work has been focused around sexuality and gender identity just because my personal experience. But yeah, we try to look at the whole group.
0: So I imagine if there's a, a Baptist attending BYU, they're naturally going to feel alienated. And sometimes they just need someone to talk to about being the odd man,
1: right? Yep. And we love being available for them, yeah.
0: Cool. So in, in these interactions with students, I mean, obviously this is part of your, your own personal journey. So, yeah. I mean, do you lead out with that? Do you even bring it up? Uh, I mean, does it is the person who replaces you someday also need to have the same sex attraction
1: background or.
0: I don't necessarily lead
1: out with it. I, most of the students who find us know already, you know, the students are really good at doing their homework and talking to each other and finding out that kind of information. So most of the work I do doesn't really depend on my experience. I think the students feel comfortable knowing I can really empathize, but I think somebody could come in who doesn't have this and do a great job. My coworkers do an excellent job. But I do think there is something unique about talking to somebody who has experienced it. The majority of students who don't experience same sex attraction or identify as straight have so many mentors and people in their life to talk about the church or dating or just how they're doing. They have so many people that they can do that. A lot of our students for LGBTQ plus don't have that. And so it's I think it I'm grateful I can we can talk a little bit about my experience if they want to, but most of the time we try to focus on them.
0: So I'm just curious because I know a lot of leaders, especially bishops, they're just, they want to have these conversations, right? They want to be the type of leader that is uh, having, you know, people are scheduling appointments with and coming in. So if a student is wanting to talk about their, you know, sexuality or same-sex attraction, I mean, do they, how do they find out about your office? And then, yeah when they set an appointment, like how does that whole process work?
1: That's kind of in flux right now. We're still getting, trying to get the word out and publicized about our office. But um, most of the time right now it's been through word of mouth, you know, where the students who know each other, they get online. Um, I've been doing a lot of presentations on campus. So students find out about that. And then the other employees who hear those refer students over. And I also get a lot of, of referrals from leader, um, church leaders as well as therapists in the area who know that I'm here as a resource and who've heard my story before. A lot of them, if they know of students, will send them this way as well. And usually just give them my phone number or email. It's fine. Yeah. So
0: why would they come to you rather than a therapist? Like what, or why would a therapist refer people
1: to yeah. you? I think a lot of the students who going through this aren't necessarily feeling like they need therapy. They don't feel like they're struggling with um, mental health concerns, but they just are wanting somebody to talk to and somebody who gets it. And And so it can be a nice just to have a larger network of support. They have their ecclesiastical leaders, they have their therapists. And just to try to expand that to more people, um, I think is usually why the referrals come. And it's cool to be able to work with those people. Sometimes the students will ask, invite their bishops to call me. And so we all kind of work together and trying to support them. And do you
0: serve as sort of a reporting office? Like if an LGBTQ student has a negative interaction because of their sexuality, like, do they, can they go to that, your office and say, Hey, this happened in a biology class and this is a problem.
1: Yeah, we definitely want to support students that are are going through discrimination, we aren't necessarily the, the like the police <laughs> the police of it but we would want to work with the student and find getting those resources and of course we just don't send them there I continue to walk through and until we know that the student and whoever they're wanting to struggle with find some resolution but yeah that comes up a lot unfortunately and so yeah
0: um, awesome so let's uh, dive in deeper here with uh, as far as what you hear is as far as these interactions with bishops, because a lot of students maybe they even have a, a negative interaction with their bishop. Not that he was offensive by any means, maybe he just didn't know what he didn't know and had a negative yeah. interaction, and they may come to the office looking for support there. So maybe unpack that for us.
1: You bet. I think that it's really important to mention the, the vast majority of conversations I have about church leaders the students actually talk really positively about it. I hear way more experience like, hey, I talked to my Relief study president or I talked to my Bishop or Elvis Corn president and it went extremely well. And they just come to like, to tell me about it. it happens way more often than I think people would think. Oh, that's great. The vast majority. And so- but yeah, there are the occasions where the students are really nervous or have an interaction that isn't good. Yeah, they just want somebody to talk to about it. So it's it's fascinating to hear some of those patterns of some common things that go really well and that don't go so well.
0: So let's talk about as far as you hear certain things either, uh, like you said at the beginning, like someone will get yeah. a text and yeah. from a bishop, hey, I'd like to see you. And the bishop's thinking, yeah, you're going to be our every other Sunday Elder Scorm instructor, or whatever, but in their mind, they're like, he's found out, or yeah. So, help us understand that dynamic and,
1: and what it is you hear. Yeah, there's a lot of the students who will reach out to me and just said, Hey, I just got this text and I have no idea what my leader wants to talk to me about. And because they're worried about stuff like, Did someone? Tell them about my experience. Like, did I get caught doing something? There's so many fears that are going through these students' mind that they start to freeze up and get feel very paralyzed before they even know what the bishop wants to talk to them about. And I get texts with a lot of like nervous emojis and sweating emojis of like, I just, I just heard somebody wants to meet with me. I don't know what this is going on. So a lot of times I try to help the student to say, is there any way that you can get more information about what this meeting is going to be, especially since you're so nervous? Because a lot of times it is something like the leader just wants to get to know you or they have a calling or they want to talk to you about something you said in a meeting, you know, that they really liked. And trying to encourage the students to see, hey, could I get more information about this meeting? It's so great when the leader does that proactively when they when they include all those details with the, the students saying hey this is what I want to talk to you about this is who will be there the setup kind of like the bishops who even like describe like hey um, just sit, come in Sunday dress or don't worry about dressing up all of those details seem to really lessen the fears and stress of the students and the more information the better it just that prep work. And of course, LGBT individuals aren't unique in that stress of, uh, what is this meeting for? But it seems to affect them pretty deeply to the point where they're walking into these meetings with a lot of fears, which I know that the leaders certainly don't want.
0: Yeah. And I think this is just awesome advice across the board because for a lot of members of the church, regardless, you know, if they're LGBTQ or not, like, the bishop's office can have a feel of the principal's office, right? Like you only go there, you only get called in maybe for a calling, but if it's not a calling, then what is it? Right. I remember one personal experience myself where it was in a stake that I knew, um, like for whatever reason, I knew it wasn't gonna, it wasn't a calling. And so, and then I got, called in with very little detail. And even myself, I felt the sudden shame, like, oh, no, like, what did I do? Or what misunderstanding? And it turned out to be nothing, you know? And so, the more uh, information you can give, even the last word I was in, the bishop was very proactive in just saying, we'll always tell you why you're coming in. It's a calling. You know, we have a calling for you. Can you come in Tuesday night? And just the more details you can provide, it's going to be so helpful. But especially individuals who it can almost be a trigger for them for yeah. additional shame, or uh, yep, they've finally figured me out, or they're yeah. they're going to throw the book at me this time. You know, yep. when in reality it could be nothing. So I, I love that
1: more. More absolutely, and I think the the same is true when the person who wants to talk to the leader sets up the meeting. Um, I was talking to a student recently who wanted to talk about their to their bishop about one of the new newer policies in the handbook. They're really nervous and so they set up an appointment with their executive secretary. And the bishop reached out to them and said, hey, I saw that you signed up to meet with me. Is there anything that you would want me to be thinking about or like studying beforehand before our meeting? And it oh, wow. was huge for the student because they had a specific question about a policy in the handbook. And so they told the bishop that and the bishop was ready and prepared to talk about it. And it turned out to be such a good experience because there was a lot of information and details before the meeting even started. Yeah. And yeah, it was just awesome to hear that.
0: Yeah. So more details we get going both ways is helpful. Like yeah. I remember that like as a bishop, a name would appear on my schedule. They'd walk yeah. in and I'd always say, well, how can I help you? And it's like, I had no idea where we were going. And I sort of felt like I had to be prepared for it. And, you know, yeah. after a few years, you sort of Figures things out or direction you take, whatever issue it is or topic or, yeah. but yeah, so making that extra step or, um, and even those maybe listening that are interacting with bishops that a bishop would appreciate saying, Hey, I've got some questions about the new policies. Um, would you mind reading over? And I'm going to meet with you on Tuesday. I've already talked to your executive secretary, right? Like, yeah. oh, okay. All right. Better, better read up here or and make sure I'm ready.
1: Absolutely. And I think that for a lot of leaders, I was talking to this student who came in and she was really, she heard from her um, relief society presidency member, I think. And it turned out to be like a four hour conversation. They just weren't, she wasn't ready for that. And so, so it's like next time you can ask for a beginning and an end time, you know, like, and that might be really helpful. And so even that kind of information really lowers anxiety. Anything
0: else as far as before the meeting or the
1: interaction begins? I think one of the big ones, which is just so hard because all leaders are so busy, is law students come and say, I have this meeting. I don't know my leader at all, and they don't know me at all. So I think just obviously those leaders who the, the individuals already know, they already have that relationship. There's some trust, whether that's through dinners with their family or just events and activities. The more somebody knows their leader beforehand, the more comfortable they're going to be in showing up and being able to really trust them. Yeah.
0: So I would imagine some individuals, you know, they get that call or the text coming to see them, yeah. the bishop or to meet relief site president, or whatever it is. Yeah. And I'm sure they're afraid that maybe they're going to be called out. Like, uh, yeah. hey, I, and I, I don't even know what that would look like. Is that a thing usually happen or is it mainly just a fear? Or does a bishop say, come out and say, hey, notice some things about you. I just want to confirm if you are, uh, right? I
1: mean, I don't know. It sounds silly, but I've I've heard of crazier things. Um, Usually what happens is maybe a Relief Society president will see something on social media where somebody comes out and they let the bishop know. And then, so the bishop's like, well, I want to support them and talk to them if they need it. And so sometimes a bishop will then, Call them in and that can be a really awkward exchange because they don't want to be like, oh, someone told, you know, that does happen, um, unfortunately. And usually in those cases, especially when somebody is wanting to disclose such personal information about sexuality or gender, um, I would just invite Bishops to just wait till the individual initiates the conversation. Maybe at that, in that situation, the bishop could encourage the release site president to just say, Yeah, if you're talking to her again about this stuff, just feel free to invite her to, if she wants to come and talk with me, you know, just to have that kind of organic direction. Because that has actually happened to me where a state president heard from somebody else that this is what I was experiencing. And he had kind of a weird picture. I think he thought I was. Um, really struggling and against the church and all this kind of stuff, and he didn't realize that I actually really loved the church and I was feeling pretty good and settled in life. And so he called me in to talk, and I was like, "Yeah, this is my experience." And I think he was surprised that there wasn't more to the story. And so,
0: yeah, yeah I appreciate you bringing up that dynamic of like something could be said on social media or through the grapevine. They hear that this individual has come out; they're more public about it, and. And so as a leader, you want to make sure, well, I want to make sure, sure that they are supportive, that they know that I've got their back and, you know, I want to encourage them, you know, whatever. And, yeah. but when you just call them in, I mean, it's just yeah. this concept <laughs> of calling people in that can be so shameful. And so yeah. just avoiding that, right? Right. Maybe yeah. give them a phone call. Hey, I heard some, some things, uh, yeah. just want, you know, I'm here or whatever, or just like yeah. you said, just wait for it and yeah. keep loving them out, out as they come to church or whatever. And, and when they're ready, they'll
1: come to you. Yep, it's hard to navigate. And I think when the intent to serve is there, that's going to come through, which is good.
0: How about during the meeting? You hear as far as what transpired during that meeting, either with a bishop or another leader?
1: Yeah, I actually was talking to a student recently who had an experience with a bishop where they, this student felt like they received some revelation about kind of the direction they should take with their life. And they wanted to run it past their bishop to see, you know, how to navigate it, how to feel about it. And so the student made an appointment, they had a good talk, and then he sent me a message after saying like, the bishop was really nice, you know, he was great, but we never actually got to talk about what I wanted to talk about. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and which is, is so easy to do, especially when we're connecting really well. And in this case, what he said is, yeah, the bishop got really hung up on like labels, like what words I label myself when we didn't really get to go to my question. And I do hear those kind of situations a lot about what actually happens in the meeting where it seems like the direction kind of changes and sometimes it's driven by the leader about where the question goes or the conversation goes where the question that they came in with doesn't get addressed. And usually always there's like, they're so nice but I didn't get to talk to them. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. And I know just the nature of these callings, especially if you do it for a few years, You sort of get your canned response to whatever issue comes up. Like maybe you respond a certain way one time and you thought, wow, that really worked out well. You know, they felt supported. And uh, I'm gonna go back to that every time. Or I read that scripture and I'll read that scripture every time now that anybody comes in, right? And so (laughs) after I after a bishop would say, How can I help you? And then they bring up their topics, like, Oh, I know how to handle this, and here we go. And and the person may feel like, no, I, that's not my question, but I guess our time's up.
1: Okay. You know? Yep. Yep. And, uh, that unfortunately I do hear about that a lot. And on the other end, when uh, somebody has a great experience with a leader, it's almost always said they just listened to me and I felt like they really understood what I was saying. And it seems like almost universally when that is what happened, the individual comes away with a really good experience and, like in my office, I, sometimes I fall in the same trap. Like, oh, there's things I could do to help or support and stuff like that. Um, and then I'm like, oh, I think what they really need is just to really feel listened to and understood. And that's really universal. And here we, I just end up doing a lot of reflecting, like what they said. They say something, and I just say, oh wow, you know. And then really empathizing with the emotion. That's a huge part. Is just stuff like, wow, like I can't believe like that happened. Like that must've been, you must have felt so lonely. And sometimes there was like, actually I didn't, but like really empathizing with the emotion. And usually in those situations, I leave feeling really connected. They leave feeling connected and it just takes a lot of listening.
0: You know? Yeah. That's fascinating. Cause, and even, you know, there's some great resources, great therapists out there, counselors. And so I can imagine a leader just start stacking up those resources. Like, Oh, great. You know, we're here to help. Oh, you got to see this therapist. She's really good. And oh, have you been to, you know, the, the church's website? Oh, they got some great stuff. Let's, let's go to that now. And maybe the person's like, I'm just curious if I can still take the sacrament or, you know, like, (laughs) let me have a simple question like that. And so I love this, just listening, reflective, like asking them questions and then even saying, well, what, what questions do you have? Like what, what concerns you the most? And then that will help them guide the conversation where they want it to go. Right.
1: I think that's so huge, especially some of these individuals question themselves a lot and they have a lot of shame. So kind of allowing them to govern and guide with their conversation really actually helps them start building trust in themselves as well as the leader. That like I can show up here and that it can be really beneficial. It's huge. And then it's so cool when in that process, when somebody shares something and then that's where the inspiration, the Holy Ghost can really come in it reminds me actually of a, a quote from preach my gospel and in chapter 10 about teaching elder Holland talks about listening. And he's, and he says something like more important than speaking is listening. And then he makes this really powerful promise that he says, as you listen to these people, if you ask them, what do you, you know, what are they afraid of? What are their goals? What are their concerns? And then you listen, he says, I promise you that something that what they say you will be able to testify of a principle of the gospel. You don't need to worry about what to say. It's going to be given to you by the Spirit and by your friends, you know, the people you're listening to. And I have seen that be true over and over again, that I don't need to worry so much about what I'm going to be saying because if I'm listening with the Spirit, A lot of times I don't need to say anything. And then there will be once in a while prompting what to say. And it's almost always better than what I would have come up with on
0: my own. I would imagine if you don't know what to say, just say, I don't know what to say. Can you just tell me more about your experience, right? Yeah. Just be like, if you feel it, say it, you know? Yep, I love that. So I'm just curious as far as your experience when students come in, like, I would imagine like a bishop's office, it's taken like all of their strength to reach out for help and someone to talk to, yeah. and then when yeah. they're finally there, they yeah. just don't have any more strength to actually be that, be vulnerable and open, and yeah. so they're they're scared. I mean, do you see that or?
1: Yeah, I do. Um, there's some times where I'll be sitting here in the office and I'll see somebody walk past and then like not come in, and then they'll walk past again. They are so terrified to even like come in, and so a lot of times what I'll do in, in that case is. I'll just kind of set the tone of vulnerability a little bit and tell them a little bit myself. Sometimes I'm like, so you're not talking to a complete stranger. I can tell you a little bit about me and my, uh, my experience. And, oh, what I I love that. and as I kind of show some of my own vulnerabilities, and I'm like, yeah, and this was a really hard time in my life and stuff like that. It kind of can set the tone and you kind of see the worry and fear going on. Like, oh, this is a conversation between equals. Like, I'm okay here. I'm safe. And a lot of times once they they sense that, then they they feel more comfortable opening up.
0: Yeah, especially with the bishop dynamic. Sometimes this is like you're talking to like you might as well be talking to a member of the quorum of the twelve, like who you're like on a different level, right? Which is true, but that's sort of the feeling, right? And so to just somehow be, be vulnerable You're on your, your side of the desk and yeah. let them know they're talking mortal to mortal, right? And yeah. we're equals here. And what's your experience been like? That's mine. Yeah. It's not better, worse than yours, but that's my experience. You know, that,
1: that's great. Yeah. I love that advice. Sometimes throwing out some hypotheticals, right? They're like, sometimes when I'm talking to people, they like to talk about some of the concerns that are on their mind or these kinds of things, just throwing some hypotheticals out there because sometimes it fits and sometimes they say, actually, no, that's not, and then they they go from there, which is cool. Yeah. So, what's a hypothetical sound like? That, as far as how you use it. Yeah, like so, if somebody is coming into my office, I'm like a lot of times when people are coming in it's because they're not feeling like they can fit the BYU mold, you know. And there's a lot of stress being here at BYU when it seems like everybody is having a really similar experience, and when that doesn't fit us, it's really hard. And I'm like. For example, for me, like as a thirty-three-year-old single guy working for BYU, there are very few single people, you know, single men working at BYU. Just kind of throwing something like that out, it kind of sparks the conversation as a like, oh, maybe you might not feel like you're exactly like everyone at BYU for a certain reason, and then. I don't know. That's an example.
0: <laughs> yeah. And that this is tricky because you don't want to necessarily project anything on their yeah. experience, right? But yeah. you may if they're nervous, And I, or I remember this as a bishop, like in the context of someone confessing a sin, yeah. like they'd be able to get out maybe 10% of it. And then yeah. I'd say, oh, no. <laughs> and then did this and this and this happen? And they'd be yeah. like, yeah, right? And, and again, yeah. this isn't a confession or a sin or anything, but yeah. just saying like, I bet you feel alone a lot, right? Or I bet yeah. you feel like do you fit in here or is there, yeah. can you hold a calling or these? And they may say, Oh no, I haven't thought that. But you know, you're sort of uh, I think uh, the people of vital smarts that wrote the book, crucial conversation, they call that priming the pump, not just saying, well, tell me more. I mean, come on, you can tell me, you can tell yeah. me, but instead giving them something and they're like, no, 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 that wasn't it. It was this. And like, okay, yeah. you're sort of priming the pump to, to help them feel ready to talk about it and comfortable talking yeah. about
1: it. And just going at their pace. Because if it's that 10% and that's what they feel, feel comfortable with, I'm in no hurry and I'm no rush. Like, And I love that with my own church leaders when if it, it feels like there's no rush to to mm-hmm. certain goal of talking about a certain amount of things or that. And that just helps me to feel like, okay. Um, and most of the time it's the opposite where they just start talking and talking. And something that I like to do is like five minutes before I'll say something like, hey, it looks like we have five minutes left. I'd love to keep talking about kind of labels or those kind of stuff. But I'm just curious, is there anything else you wanted to bring up before you know Mm -hmm. been able to address yet? And that way, if they did have a specific question that they haven't brought up, then they're able to insert it then. And sometimes like, ooh, yes, let's talk about that. Like, do you have a time next week where we can chat more about that idea? Or I don't know if that makes sense. It's just kind of Leaving that gap at the end of the meeting for them to bring up anything they haven't, and then saying more time to talk later.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point. And any other tips as far as because this is a dynamic that leaders deal with that they have. There's another appointment outside, and that person they they're in crisis too. Yeah, and I can't just like put them off. So yeah. anything else you do to maybe push pause on the conversation or, or wrap it up, and I'm sure there's times where it's like, you know what, we got to just take yeah. some extra time. <laughs>
1: Yeah. I think the more work I do beforehand and letting them know like, oh yeah, let's chat. I have 15 minutes. If they just walked in, I have 15 minutes and then I have to go. If I do that, it's a lot easier to end on time. But usually about just a couple minutes before I need to go just saying like, ooh, this is so important. Um, I want to keep talking about it. I also ask them, hey, would it be all right? I want to keep thinking about this. Could I send you an email or a text or something if I have more questions about this? And that way, It opens it up where we could talk in another forum. So they feel like, oh, this conversation is going to continue, but maybe not right now. And it's just awkward. Most of the time people understand if there's somebody else going.
0: So we talked about before the meeting, during the meeting, and then what do you hear like after they've met with a bishop or a leader? What type of
1: things or experiences do they have? Yeah, it's amazing. I get a lot of these emails or people come into the office and you can just tell their brain has been going ever since the meeting. Like, Oh, I can't believe I told him this. You know, like you start hearing and feeling the anxiety of what, what did I just tell him, you know, and the nervousness and the one Bishop, he was awesome. In one of these situations, he sent a text to the person he met with and just like, Hey, thanks again for meeting with me. I've been really thinking what you shared with me about loneliness and yeah, just so powerful and just send him a text like that. And it was just so meaningful for that student to hear kind of like a post meeting text. It reminds me of like post date text, you know, Hey, that was great. Let's do it again. Kind of that idea. And it actually, it really helped this individual feel heard, especially because the Bishop mentioned, I think it was loneliness. Like, Hey, like, yeah, I've been thinking a lot about the loneliness you mentioned. And that's so hard, you know? And, Yeah, that was huge. So like a post-meeting text is awesome. Another thing that I've seen leaders do, and this has been true for me, is whether that's in a text or just following up, is just kind of affirming the I don't know how to say it. It's like a character-based compliment. A lot of times people will tell me, like, hey Blake, you're you're a gay member of the church. That's so cool that you're staying in the church. And it's a very like decision-based compliment. For me, what means a lot after hard conversation when it's like a character based, like, hey, after we were talking, it was just so cool. I can tell how deeply you think about this stuff. And it's just so impressive. And I love it when it's that character based compliment. And leaders who do that, that it's like not conditional on their decisions or what they're doing, that builds a ton of trust, I've seen.
0: Yeah, because behavior is so... I mean, behaviors change, right? And- yeah, yeah. And there's sort of this feeling especially in the LGBTQ ex- experience in the church where you meet these people and we're gonna interview several of them in the summit you meet these people who have are like in a good spot yeah. they recognize that this is part of their identity but they also have reconciled it with the the gospel of Jesus Christ and they're moving forward and so we sort of in our mind it's like you will always be here that is so cool yeah. and you made this yes. decision right and then later on if that changes or uh, even smaller yes. behaviors, then in your mind, you think, oh yeah, that was a big, that behavior was really important to them. And now I'm not demonstrating it. So I must be, you know, the shame comes, I must be less in their mind because of that, right?
1: Yeah. And so anytime it's that character, something that isn't going to change, no matter what decisions they make is so meaningful because it helps them know that their bishop is seeing who they are, not just the choices that they make. And it's just so awesome. I know for me, that's been huge because I am, wanting to stay in the church. And that's what I'm planning to do. But the people I know that they see my values and character traits that are independent of that, that helps me feel so much more grounded and supported.
0: Yeah, man. And that just spills over so many other ways, like congratulating somebody not on deciding to go on a mission, but on just being a, a person who wants to share what's important to them. You know, like yeah. that has a totally different feel and it's so it's such a minor, minor change, it feels like,
1: you know. Yeah. Especially with LGBT people, a lot of the compliments can be stuff like, wow, I can tell you're really wanting to be honest with people, you know, and that's just so awesome. Or uh, you're doing this with a lot of integrity. You're not wanting to say one thing and do another. I love that. Or Like, you are just so courageous. Even talking to me, that takes so much courage, you know? And some of those character-based things, it's so exciting to see a student come in and be like, my leader, like, recognize how much courage this takes. And you can just tell that that relationship is strengthened.
0: Yeah. And then going back to uh, these feelings they feel after they've had the interview or the interaction, uh, I don't know who, I've heard it from several people, but there's this term called, a vulnerability hangover. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know, where an individual has have all the sh- <laughs> strength. They've yeah. been praying. They finally get to that office. Yeah. They have the conversation. Then the next day, they wake up and they think, "What have I done? Like this okay. is not you know." And then the the mind starts giving you these perspectives that are so far from the truth, right? And so those texts or those interactions can really calm that
1: vulnerability hangover feeling that really stimulates some shame, right? Yep. And I sometimes talk to people about that before they even leave the office. I'm like, you've shared some really cool personal stuff. Sometimes when I've done that, I kind of feel exhausted and kind of self-conscious afterwards. I just want you to know that like, this has just been so great. And like, I, you know, that everything... Mm -hmm that has just been really cool um and that kind of prepares them for their own vulnerability hangover yeah,
0: yeah. just making it of ending that interaction with that encouragement yeah. like wow this has been great yeah. i feel upbeat yeah. i feel yeah I feel the spirit here like that's great yeah. right and uh yep. awesome any other like uh remedies for vulnerability hangovers yeah. come to mind <laughs>
1: I think some of the biggest things is when they see that what they told you isn't changing your relationship for the worst. You know, if, if, uh, if somebody came in and talked to you about their experience being trans and then they feel like you're avoiding them in the hallways and stuff like that, that's really tough. And so the opposite is so cool. Just a smile from the stand or across the hall after a meeting, you know, like it's just so meaningful and it's just, just a recognition of like this relationship is deeper now after what you told me and not more awkward i think that's huge and then i think another important thing is so many students come in and say hey i just told my bishop that i was like unfaithful to my wife and the conversation went fine. I have no idea what's next. And then that stress is so high. There's like, am I supposed to call them? Are they supposed to call me? I don't know what to do next, especially after such a vulnerable hangover. The uncertainty of the next step makes that vulnerability hangover so much worse. So like, oh, I don't know what to do from here. And so yeah, the more information about what happens next is that helps a ton.
0: Yeah, that's great advice. And I've heard these heartbreaking stories where the individual obviously has been very vulnerable and sort of shared this part of their identity and experience yeah. with a, a church leader. That church leaders listen to their best, but yeah. they don't really know what the next step is. You know, this yeah. person hasn't acted out in a certain yeah. negative way. And, and so th- there is this sort of passive aggressive avoidance that the leader doesn't mean to do it, but he's just so unsure and he's never maybe dealt with something like this. And so he'd rather just not talk about it and then it never comes up again. And that individual interprets it differently. So even just having a follow-up meeting, even if there's nothing to talk about saying, Hey, why don't we meet just in a few weeks and see how you're doing? Right. Yeah. And checking in, I think would, would help a lot too, but you're right. That. that It can be, it can be unintentionally awkward.
1: Mm -hmm. And I think the cool thing is some, a lot of people, when like, let's say I've come out to them, there's like, this changes nothing. And a lot of times when I've shared something that personal with them, I want the relationship to change, meaning I want it to be deeper. I want it to be closer. And so for me, if if someone shares something really vulnerable with me, it invites me to connect with them more often, not less.
0: Anything else as far as after
1: the meeting, any other dynamics you see? I don't think so. Again, I think it's cool that the Most of the time I hear bishops uh, or stories of bishops or at least I presence or leaders, it's really good and good intentions come through more than anything. And I just, I don't want leaders to feel too nervous about doing the right things or saying the right things because most of the time they're doing great. And just to take the cues from the individual, if it looks like they're shutting down, it's okay to say, hey, I'm I'm nervous I said something that is like getting in the way of this. Like, I'm sorry if I did. And just being aware of, if it seems like they're withdrawing, it's okay to bring that up.
0: Awesome. So you noticed a few principles here as far as maybe some principles that individuals, leaders, parents, whomever they are having these interactions with can focus on. And um, yeah. First one is help individuals develop faith in Jesus Christ and not faith in a specific outcome. Yeah. Uh,
1: expound on that. For so many of us who are going through these complicated experiences, the future is so uncertain and can feel so hopeless sometimes. And really well-intentioned family members and leaders and stuff want to help us find hope. And so they give us something to like hope for, you know? Two of the most common things I hear that people put their faith in or hope in is like, if I, if you work hard enough or if I work hard enough, I'm going to find someone I can marry and I'm going to have family just like everybody else. This idea of like this future family I can look forward to is like this very specific outcome to give people hope. The other one I hear really often is the church eventually is going to change its doctrine and it's going to accept same-sex ceilings and all these things. And so hold on until then, you know. And these are really two very specific outcomes that I think in a desire to feel hope and look forward to a future, people use to feel okay. And it makes a lot of sense that people do that and feel that way. But I've seen in my own life, as well as the people I've worked with, That focusing on the future um, and those specific outcomes is never enough to like to really motivate somebody to feel okay and to feel to stay. And the only thing I've noticed that really helps people to find hope is that relationship with God and with Jesus Christ and to have that happening now. So there's so many things that are very future-oriented. And for so many of us, that just is discouraging. And so the more a leader can do to help us just say, how are you feeling about your relationship with God right now? Like, how is that going and developing that relationship right now rather than focusing on the future is huge and it helps a lot.
0: Oh man, that's so insightful. And, and, And that again, these are principles that really work in any situation even. And it's so subtle. I mean, we all do it where we say, I have faith that, something will happen to make this easier or I yeah. have faith that something will happen <clears throat> so that my life would be more manageable. And in reality, we just have to have faith that regardless of what happens, Christ will always be there, right? Like his yeah. atonement's there, his healing yeah. powers there and I'm have faith in Christ and not faith in an outcome. Yeah. I, that's so, so insightful. Well,
1: thanks. I, I know I do it to myself a lot, but like I'm going to be okay. Cause eventually X, Y, Z is going to happen. And, as I bring it back to Jesus Christ right now, it's so much stronger. I think of Christ in the Sermon on the Mount where he says, you know, he talks about the fowls of the air and they'll consider the lilies in this idea. And he says, you know, take no thought for the morrow, you know, and that doctrine is so hard to live, but it really has made a huge difference for me to say, how am I doing with God right now? I sometimes worry that people are so focused on what to do to live with God eventually that they don't focus on living with God right now and that relationship. <laughs> and that's the only thing that gets me through is my relationship with God right now.
0: Yeah. I, I think it was elder Holland. If I'm remembering, it. Right, he said something like the, the commandment we break the most is fear not, you know, it's yeah. just, and we do it every day and it's, but that's why we're on a journey of faith here. So love that.
1: Yep. Um, I think also with this idea of not focusing on specific outcomes, Something people do is compare stories a lot like, oh, I read this article about a guy who was gay who got married and it worked out really well, you know, or like, or the opposite. Oh, these people got married and it didn't work well. We compare stories a lot and that's a very outcome-based response that it can feel really good in the moment, but in the end, it's such an individual journey that 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 doesn't end up helping that much as well as focusing a lot in the next life. A lot of leaders have done that with me. We're just like just keep on because in the next life it's all going to work out. And again, that's I have a testament that that's true, but in those moments where I'm really hurting and really lonely, thinking about the future that much is not nearly as helpful of focusing on Christ right now.
0: And yeah, Uh, next principle you put is an individual can develop a closer relationship with Jesus Christ as they learn to sit in the tension between faith and sexuality and leaders can sit there with them. Expand on this, uh, as far as the tension. Yeah. In my Uh, sitting in the tension, I guess. Yeah.
1: Yeah. In my experience with this tension, um, I feel like there's really important aspects of my life. I have my, my testimony and my, uh, these spiritual experiences in this rare, very real part of my faith in this hand. And on this other side are this very real experience of sexuality and romantic and emotional and spiritual attraction. And both of them, there's like a ton of tension in between them. That tension is what is really challenging because sometimes it feels like no matter what I do, that tension is still there. Um, There's been times where I've tried to, where other people have encouraged me, oh, just get rid of one of them don't worry about sexuality. It's not that big a deal. Things will work out. So just don't think about it and get rid of one of those things. Now that tension will stop. Or on the other side of the spectrum, like, oh yeah, God is loving. So don't worry too much about that spiritual stuff and like the prophets and just get rid of that aspect. So that tension will go away if you get rid of one of those two things. Um, But I've just found that trying to get rid of one of those aspects just isn't that helpful. And I think it's hard because as I talk to students who are feeling that tension... I want to get help them not feel like they're in so much pain. You know? And that's such a natural thing to, I, yeah, I don't, I'm not explaining this well.
0: <laughs> no, I think you're doing great. I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah. J- just because we're, tension's uncomfortable, right? Yeah. And, and so yeah. why would we want to be in the tension, like, or we misinterpret the, the atonement, that actually the atonement or the gospel makes tension go away, like it right. makes life work. But in reality, it's that tension that sanctifies us,
1: right? Right, and that's what I've experienced is when I've been trying to focus on not feeling that pain or not feeling that tension, um, that's a huge distraction. But instead, I found Jesus Christ in my relationship gets so much stronger as I learn how to to feel it and just include Christ in that process. And that is sanctifying. I think there's like a lot of things I've learned being in that. And it's hard because that sounds so negative. Like, oh, learn how to just, the pain is going to be there. Just deal with it. Like feel it with Christ. But the cool thing is the more I've been open to feeling that tension and pain with Christ, the more I've been able to feel like the joy and stuff too. And
0: so. Yeah. And this is uh, this concept of tension actually came up in my interview with Ty Mansfield. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've been thinking about it ever since that, a A role of a leader is to oftentimes sort of point out the tension and yeah. and st- and sit with them in that tension right yeah. like not to make it go away, but just recognizing the tension saying like obviously you you have feelings of that want to take you one way, but the gospel wants yeah. to take you another way right like yeah. that's probably hard right and and yeah. recognizing the tension maybe helps them stimulate or helps them uh better. Talk about it, right? Like, oh, like he no. noticed that too. Yeah, like I didn't want to say it, but yeah, it's tough. Yeah.
1: I love that. For me, that's the key aspect of mourning with people that with those that mourn. Yeah, if you. I have a friend, and they're, they don't identify as LGBT, but she's an older woman. She her patriarchal blessing says that she'll be married and has kids, and it doesn't look like that's going to happen in this life. And she can't reconcile those things, and that's just a constant tension for her. And my heart broke, you know, as, and I wanted, I felt how painful that is for her and to sit with her in that and to mourn with her is important on the church website. Actually, they have one of those hope works talks that talks about mourning with those who mourn. And, oh yeah. So excellent. I would recommend anybody to watch that. And,
0: we'll put it in our resource section. For yeah. Sure.
1: Yeah. It's awesome. And it talks about the difference of mourning for somebody and mourning with somebody. And for me that's what Christ does he he comes and i feel like he understands the pain and he's sitting me sitting with me in that and the leaders who can do that it's just so inspiring i had a bishop who i felt like who did that who just listened to me to the point where he understood why this is so hard and why this is so painful and he just empathized with me he didn't try to fix it he didn't try to solve it but he he sat there with me and that did more for build my trust in him but more importantly in just the gospel generally than anything else.
0: A uh, last principle you wrote down here is uh, discern and focus on the light in their lives. Light yeah. leads to more light.
1: Yeah. Whenever I thought about leaders, I always kind of attached the gift of discernment to that. Like, oh man, they can they can look right through me. They can see like my sins and my problems and my where I'm falling short. And that's what the gift of discernment means, and what that's what it is. And what I've really valued about people in my life and leaders is those who I feel like they can see the good in me in spite of everything else. Like the discerning is like they're seeing the light and the goodness in me and. I meet with a lot of students who they're making a lot of decisions that I'm like, ooh, I'm not sure if that's going to lead you to the most happiness. And I'm worried about this kind of behavior. But as I've focused on saying, oh, but they're doing this. And there's that's such a true principle and so much light. I'm going to focus on that. I've seen how putting that focus and conversation on the good that's going on in our life, it tends to grow and to lead. It reminds me of those scriptures like light cleavethan to light or that light will increase to the like and get brighter until that, like that perfect day. And I just, I just love when leaders do that for me, just focus on the good that's going on to my life. And I feel it expand.
0: And I think this is a great advice to to answer this question, but I think this is, uh, you bring up a dynamic that a lot of leaders wrestle with is they sit down with an individual and they have decided to go in one direction And they've even, they even credit their personal revelation Mm -hmm. to going in that direction. And inside you're thinking, no, like (laughs) anything but that, right? Like any, any else, you know, you mentioned just focusing on the light, like any other ways that I'm sure you see that dynamic as all. Like, like, no, you're, you're about to step on a rake and it's going to hit you right in the face. (laughs) And I I feel like I need to say something, but maybe that's not always helpful.
1: Yeah. It's so hard because I think always I have to maintain the humility of even if I really think that this kind of behavior, this decision may end up really hurting somebody that I don't always know that. So for me, like just maintaining like that is helpful in the back of my mind. But more important is again, just making sure that more than ever, that means I want my relationship with that person to be strong. So that hopefully everything works out great, but let's say it doesn't. And maybe some of these choices do lead to some hard things that they know that I'm still there. And so that just, again, that goes to some of that focusing on the character of the individual and making sure to reinforce and complement that. Just again, focusing on that light. I think the biggest thing for me is if they're making these choices, not pulling back more and be like, well you like i was trying to help you and now you did that so it's over and just not ending the relationship there i still have bishops and leaders from the past who still reach out to me and see how i'm doing and just the fact that they're that committed shows that no matter which direction i go i believe that they're still going to be there which is so powerful
0: yeah and there especially people come and go from wards and you sort of feel like hey, they moved out like uh i guess i don't yeah have to stress over that but just maintain somewhat of a connection check you know that like that really is uh in, in part of the ministry you know and yeah and,
1: and it's, it's more it's, sincere it's, leader it's hard because i a lot of in an attempt to be validating you want to be like, oh that's awesome that's great i'm so excited for you but um I have so much, most of my friends who have been walking this journey with me, a lot of them haven't stayed in the church. The relationship with the church has changed and they've moved into different directions. And still in the middle of the night at 2 a.m., I get calls from people just saying like, hey, I was thinking about this spiritual prompting or this idea. And I'm so grateful for that. And I felt like if I would have changed too much of my beliefs or tried to adapt and not own up to what I believe that then there isn't that desire for them to come back. I don't know how to describe this, but I wouldn't want leaders to feel like they would have to change who they are or their beliefs because that's going to be invaluable for these individuals as they think back and evaluate their own beliefs later.
0: That's awesome. Well, anything else we haven't covered, Blake? We've covered a lot and it's been
1: great. (laughs) Anything else that uh, you want to make sure we insert here? I think one of the coolest things that I... The more time... Leaders spend with LGBTQ individuals. I just see that comfort level just naturally getting easier, and so I, I would just encourage people to, if you have people in your ward or in your community, like this is their story, just spend time with them and just get to know them. And I think a lot of the individual details and stuff fall into place. And it's I'm so encouraged by leaders who are trying. Those who are watching this is just. Uh, the fact that they're spending time to listen to something like this means a ton to me personally. Uh, it really does that leaders care this much about supporting people and that good intention is going to shine through. So hopefully they feel encouraged in that.
0: You know, all this, this conversation reminds me of a time uh, when I was bishop and I, I stood up in front of the ward and I said, did you know that the bishop's office isn't just for confessions? Like you can yeah. actually set up an appointment with me and just talk, right? And just yeah. And we'll just sit with each other for a moment like that's okay and and I remember specific a uh, handful of specific appointments that that comment stimulated and it was a remarkable I remember one sister came in and and told me I struggle so much with my mother-in-law and we just talked about that for a minute you know yeah. it's not like I had all the answers, but it was so healing for just to have someone to go talk to it and so you know I'd love your the tile here as far as the uh, you know, student, stu- student success and inclusion, like yeah. for a Bishop or a relief side president, stand up and say this week, I am, I'm the coordinator for membership, uh, success and inclusion. So if you don't uh, feel successful in life or you, f- you feel like you're not being included or you don't feel inclusion, uh, let's set up an appointment and talk about it. Right. Get, like, yeah. it brings a, such a more pure dynamic to the bishop's office or to that inner and through that relationship with the Relief Society. So I think it's great that you do. I that. love that. Yeah. So thank you. So as you've had opportunity to lead in this capacity, as you've been this in this leadership role, how has being a leader helped you become a better disciple or follower of Jesus Christ?
1: For me, as I've been able to be in this place as people are so vulnerable, it's been so cool watching just how aware God is of these people and just how much he loves them. And as I feel that, just even in conversation, I can just like, wow, like this is such a lovable person. I can just feel that. It has helped me just know that that's how God and Christ feels about me as well. And I have so much trust in their ability to work with us because I see them doing it with so many people. And it's beautiful to watch as miracles come into people's lives. And that just helps me just want to continue to be a part of that work and to be a part of what Christ is doing.
0: That concludes my interview with Blake Fisher. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did, learned as much as I did. Uh, So, such a rich perspective that Blake brings to leaders. And uh, I hope that maybe you identified some of those little nuances that we all do with the best intentions that maybe create confusion or we create unintended shame, when in reality, we just want them to feel safe, open and uh, leave with so much hope because there is so much hope available, especially in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So again, don't miss the LGBT saints virtual summit beginning September 8th. It's free. You just got to go to leading LGBT or text the word L E A D two to 474747, And there you'll be able to uh, register for free and make sure you don't miss any of this incredible content that's coming up. We'll see you there.